being there, I think being there is good. But yeah, I, I don't know what a what's a, a not quality time, but you know, it's a low quality time or you know, <laughs> yeah. me, medium yeah. quality time. Just any time is is great. You know, it's like yeah, it doesn't have to be quality time. Don't beat yourself up. Life's hard enough as it is. Now you're being asked to sort of be this kind of super parent. Welcome to the Seven Day Soul TV and the A Tweak A Week podcast. If you are someone who wants to reach your full potential, who feels like you have more to give, who doesn't want to let your short time here slip through your fingers, then you finally found your tribe. I'm your host, psychologist and author Susanna Healy, and on this show, we'll be talking with expert researchers about all things psyche and soul so that you can achieve your full potential and live a life without regrets. To reach the better angels of our nature, we know the devil's in the detail of what we do repeatedly. So we be talking habits, existential health, bucket lists, meaning, mattering, sleep, self-actualization, responsibility, discipline, faith, procrastination, gratitude, goal setting, sex, focus, careers, and loads more. Let's inject the everyday with a passion for your potential. But before we start, just a reminder, if you like the show, then don't forget to subscribe. You can also get your free 100 tips for daily progress by visiting the 7 homepage. Or if your workplace is all about human potential and you'd like to sponsor the show, then reach out to join us. Details are in the show notes. Hi, everybody, and welcome to episode seven of the A Tweak A Week podcast. Uh, Good to have you here with me today. Uh, I'm Susanna Healy, if we haven't met before, and today my guest is Tom Hodgkinson, um, a a prolific author and writer and editor. He's editor of the Idler magazine or co-editor and publisher of the of the Idler magazine. He's also published numerous books. I have to 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 look at my list, Tom, just to kind of, you know, to, to read them all out. But going back to 2005, How to Be Idle, The Book of Idle Pleasures, The Idle Par- Parent, um, Why Less Means More When Raising Kids, How to Be Free, Business for Bohemians, How to Live in the Country. And um, the Idler magazine started back in, I think, 1991, and, and uh, which was described as literature for loafers, um, which, which I really liked that. I thought that was quite catchy. Um, so, Tom, thank you for coming and, and, and welcome to A Tweak A Week. Thank you. Um, Tom, I, I suppose kind of, you know, uh, we can see obviously there that there is this theme in all of your work about idling. Now, I suppose the first thing is to, is to say you've certainly been busy talking about idling, but... Where did it all come from? And, uh, you know, because it, it, it's very much seems to kind of go against the grain of, of, of modern living. Where did the idea come from? I can remember the, the specific time I had that the, that actual idea sort of popped into my mind. Um, and I was, I think, about sort of 23, maybe. Uh, mm-hmm. And I was renting a room in Portobello Road in West London. I had a sort of three days a week job at the Sunday Mirror magazine. And, uh, you know, I wanted to be a journalist. Both my parents were journalists, or well, they still are, actually. And um, I'd sort of grown up with English literature and uh, producing magazines since I was about eight, you know, just for fun. Um, all sorts of different magazines, The Penguin, The, the, the Sixth Form Times, um, and a magazine called Broadsheet when I was at university. So it was kind of something that was came naturally to me and which I enjoyed. Uh, but I wasn't really enjoying my job at the time. So I had these days off when I would try and do my own work. And, you know, in those days, uh, being a freelance journalist, you would be, uh, there was no fax or, well, I think the fax had started to come in, but there was certainly no no sort of internet or email. Mm. So I'd spend my days um, photocopying my cuttings, sending ideas into uh, editors, not getting a reply, going down to see whether the post had come. Anyway, um 
and uh and, and not getting out of bed that was the critical thing so i'd be sort of lying in bed on my day off and it'd be sort of eight nine ten and i'd still be in bed mm. and i'd get very angry with myself and i would sink into this sort of pit of self-loathing until i read some essays by dr johnson um and i'll just tell in case not, not everyone knows who, who he is or was um but he's a very appealing character from the 18th century. He was around in the sort of 1700s. Uh, he started life very poor. He went to Oxford, but couldn't finish it because his parents couldn't afford it. Um, he became a journalist. Mm -hmm. uh, and then he became a very well-known journalist and a, and, a, and a sort of top writer at the time. And he wrote the first English dictionary. So he wasn't exactly lazy. Yeah. He wrote loads of poetry and poems, um, plays. He, he was very uh, sociable too. Um, and we know a lot about him from his diaries and also from Boswell, who wrote a book about him. Mm -hmm. In Johnson's diaries, you know, he tells himself off for staying in bed all morning. Um, and he said, you know, I, I, I really need to get up earlier next year. And he makes these resolutions every year, pretty much until he dies in, I think, his mid-60s. He's still saying, I must get up earlier next year. So I found that really comforting. <laughs> but also, you know, he wrote a series of essays called The Idler. And he talks about how idleness is actually an important part of life. It's an important part of the creative process. Okay. So actually, when you look like you're doing nothing, when you're lying in bed, different, you're acting in a different way. It doesn't look like activity, but your brain's working. Uh, you're thinking you're creating. And that's useful for anybody. So mm -hmm. I suddenly realized that, you know, this thing, idling, being lazy, which we're told off for uh, by our kind of work ethic obsessed society, is actually a very, very good thing. And that's what I want to do in the magazine to, uh, uh, you know, produce a magazine called The Idler, um, which presented all the positive aspects of laziness, contemplation, doing nothing or whatever it might be. Mm. And we managed to produce the first issue. Uh, I, I got sacked from my job. I was on the dole. I, I, I got a friend involved who had a computer. Um, we managed to raise a few hundred quid and we printed a thousand copies. And, you know, we had a magazine. To me, it was like the sort of punk spirit of just having an idea and doing do, and getting on with it, um, even if you don't have the money. So there's this whole line of magical thinking, which is, what would you do if you had a million pounds? Mm -hmm. Do it anyway. And that's kind of what we were doing. You know, I was very inspired by people like the Care Left, the pop musicians of the 90s. Um, this idea of just, you know, just, just doing it, just getting on with it. So that's the paradox you mentioned, you know, because it, yep. it, it's quite a lot of hard work to put a magazine together. Um, we've been on major labels, we've been chucked off them, you know, yep. uh, we've gone bankrupt nearly, we've uh, restarted. Uh, but all through it, um, and in my books, which you mentioned, is this idea of, uh, you know, idling is good in, in, in all sorts of different areas. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, it, it's kind of, Productive idling, really, it, it because it sounds like what we're talking about is just the fact that do you know something? It, it, maybe we're so obsessed with um, how we appear on the outside um, that we need to look busy all the time, and we need to look productive all the time, and what will other people think? Because from what I'm hearing from you, you know, and you, you mentioned it that it's really about reflection and inactivity, rest. But, uh, you know, that's kind of, you know, I suppose I, I talk about modes of mind and it's really perhaps just introducing the option of knowing kind of our different gears of mind and knowing that actually uh, we may look inactive. And it might be because you also talk about fun, don't you, and humor and, and because that, again, puts us in a different mode of mind. So really, it's about learning to be able to pause, isn't it, and go into a different, perhaps more creative space, more contemplative space, whatever, it, whatever it might be. Is that right? 
Yeah, and it's a sort of a you know it's quite radical. It's a sort of an attack on the um, cult of productivity, I suppose, um, mm. and even on you know what we call capitalism, or at least the sort of you know the system by which we sort of operate today. Um, which you know, uh, as I said, it really sort of emphasises hard work and productivity. It's a very sort of utilitarian, numbers-based world, isn't it? I mean, it's got even worse. Mm. That, you know, you're encouraged to have these social media things and count your followers and you know, we measure out our worth in terms of numbers. Uh, well, there's a whole other world out there which um, is, uh, is has been slightly neglected. I mean, mm. you know, let's go go to a cathedral. Now, mm. the, these, you know, there's 50 or 60 cathedrals were built in England between 1100 and 1300 and, and Wales. Um, and these were temples of inactivity. You know, it just shows you how important it was to do nothing for people in 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 you know quite recent times, which was the Middle Ages. Mm. Um, religion, you know, uh, yeah, you know, religion can be extremely oppressive um, and uh, gets taken over by these sort of tyrants. But at its heart, it's saying, you know, let's find the space for doing nothing. What's the most important part of life? You know, it's in it's in the Sermon on the Mount. Um, consider the lilies. They toil not, neither do they spin. Yet I say to you that Solomon in all, all his glory was not arrayed as one of these. Um, you know, and Christ says, uh, don't worry about tomorrow because the, 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 the tomorrow will take care of itself. Okay. These are quite yeah. sort of like uh, radical ideas, really. Um, yeah. And actually, they're at the heart of, of, of most religions. You yeah. know, but Buddhism emphasizes the... So, there is this other world which we have to engage with. You know, we have to, I know we have to earn money. You know, people say, well, it's all right for you because you can sort of sit around doing nothing. I have to earn money just like anybody else. Um, we all do. But we also should make space, as you say, um, for our idle time, for our own sake. You know, my argument is that idling is good for the spirit, the soul, the brain, the body, the mind, everything. You know, um, you, know you need these uh, long periods of downtime. And long working long working days in particular um, can be very damaging. The long working day reached its kind of height uh, probably in the sort of mid-19th century. Mm-hmm. You know, there was, a, there was an act that was brought in by Parliament called the 60 Hours Act, which um, was petitioning to reduce the working day for women and children under 13 to 60 hours a week. Mm-hmm. So what was it before, you know? Yeah. Um, and people were literally dying in the dark satanic mills, you know. Um, and luckily there were some Victorian reformers who, you know, shortened the working week. Nowadays, for a lot of people, it's, you know, it's it's reasonable. It's 38, 40, 40 hours a week. That's certainly an improvement. Um, but we could do better. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, we campaign for things like that for um, a shorter working week. In general, I think we need to move towards a um, a society which, places less pressure on work and uh, supports the idea of idling more strenuously. Yeah, yeah. And I think because there is that kind of, I think a lot of the time people kind of say, oh, we work so hard nowadays, but actually we work less. Uh, but I think uh, we work less hours, as you say, but we than, than we did, you know, a, a century ago. But we're but we seem to value product, productiv- productivity enormously. And now uh, there are some uh, these kind of, you know, research organizations that are actually saying, um, that because of AI, that productivity is going to increase so much that we're likely to see a kind of a three and a half, some say four day week coming sooner rather than later. 
Um, and then there was also kind of, you know, the whole, um, uh, theme of kind of the four day work week and that kind of thing, you know, this idea of packing it all into a certain amount of time. And it's interesting because the guy Hans Sale, who was a, um, a, a researcher and, and, um, uh, doctor, but, um, he was the first guy to introduce the word stress into our vocabulary. He was, he researched the whole, uh, stress axis in the body, the hypothalamic, hypothalamic pituitary adrenal uh, axis. But he talked about that in the future, we were going to need play professions. And, you know, he talked about stress, he introduced stress, and now we're kind of like, we're all about stress. But he said, in the future, we're going to need play professions, philosophy, hobbies, uh, you talk about fishing in the book, and I loved that because it reminded me. I even actually, and I, I and I will talk about how to be idle, even though I know it's a twenty-year-old book, but I, I just absolutely adored it. It was brilliantly referenced and pulled together a huge amount of information. But you talk about fishing, and it it, it actually inspired me to kind of look up. I wonder could I go fishing in in December? Is there anything I can catch with my youngest in December and January? Is there anything in in the rivers? So, but he talked about these play professions and. By the sounds of things, with the advent of AI, do you think that we're going to have to get better at this at a, another type of activity? Yeah, but I don't think it's anything to do with AI. I mean, we've been having this conversation for sort of centuries and centuries. Um, you know, when the water mill came in, everyone said, "Oh, that's great. We will have we'll have more leisure time," and that was in sort of you know sort of you know uh, two hundred BC or something like that. Um, <laughs> We, we we had machines in the, in the 19th century that didn't make any difference. It just made the, the working day longer. Um, machinery uh, and automation don't necessarily lead to a, a shorter working week. Um, that point was made by Bertrand Russell, uh, who wrote a, a, an essay in defence of idling, which is one of the, our key texts because mm-hmm. it's a really clever clever. You know, he was a very clever person. Um, and he was one of many intellectuals in the 30s who were saying, look, we've got to be using our ingenuity to uh, campaign for a shorter working week. The problem is that when you when you get a um, what the you know, what, what the owners of the, what the business owners will tend to do if they get a machine that um, uh, decreases the need for uh, paying staff is sack staff. Uh, so what they won't do generally, let's say you get a new machine for making pens. And it could make the same amount of pins in half the time. He says a sensible society would uh, would go. This is great, you know. We got this machine that will uh, produce the same amount of pins in half the time that it used to take. So that means we only have to work twenty hours a week. No, mm. what they do is sack half the workers. Yeah. So you know, under those sort of conditions, um, I mean, there's a lot of nonsense. This happened about eight years ago. You know, the robots, the robots were going to be reducing the working week. Now it's AI. Now it's something else. I mean, it's all a ridiculous overhype. I mean, obviously, AI is a, is a great tool, for example, for coders, for, for uh, people who get stuck writing stuff. Um, and, uh, yeah, but it, 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 it's, it's this idea that AI will do all the work while we sort of sit around doing nothing is completely not nonsense. Um because AI can't build a brick wall, you know, AI can't sort of mend the, mend the car. Uh, and also people have to run the AI machine. So what's actually quite interesting is that you look at the employment rates over the last sort of 100 years or 50 years, 10 years um, in the US and the UK, China. Um, 
old professions go out, you know, where are the secretaries, um, new ones come in. Um, we didn't have any full stack digital marketing executives, you know, sort of 10, 20 years ago. Mm. So weirdly, things sort of even out. However, having said all that, boring on, um, the four-day week, I think, is a real thing, and it is it is starting to happen. We work with a, a Cambridge professor, Brendan Birchall, who uh, is one of the main researchers in the UK on the four-day week, and he's a great advocate for it. Mm -hmm. um, he does trials with companies, lots of people, eight, seventy, eighty thousand people. Uh, he shows that you know productivity goes up, um, people are happier. You know, it's not the first time they've tried this in Kellogg's. Uh, in the 1910s and 1920s, um, the women workers there pressed for a shorter working week so they could spend more time with their families. And they were moving towards a three, four work day working week um, before, you know, before the uh, between the wars. Um, but it kind of got derailed by the Second World War uh, and by the Depression. Um, but Roosevelt had been sort of looking at it. So it's not a new idea. Um, and then, you know, again, you go back to the Middle Ages and we had so many days off for festivals and parties and feast days, holy days, uh, that most people would work. And of course, there wasn't electric light, so you couldn't work all night. Um, uh, the, 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 and that also goes back to Romans and Greeks, Egyptians. There was a lot of uh, uh, the idea of the Jewish Sabbath, you know, um, there were a lot and lot of uh, rest days and and then you know, there's other famous research that says that hunter-gatherers worked about, you know, 15 or 20 hours a week, and the rest of the time is for feasting and fun and play. Um, and I think that is happening. Uh, the problem is you have to have these sort of quite cold, reasonable arguments for it. So businesses have to be told, you will make more money if you go to a four-day working week. Yeah. You know, if that argument is put to them coherently and they believe it, then they will you know, change. Yeah. Not for kind of... Um, not for humanitarian reasons or, or because yeah. their people are dying. By the way, you know, um, we, uh, I was going to say I'm fond of this certain statistic. I'm not fond of it. It's absolutely horrifying. But there was a report from uh, only last week, end of, end, a couple of weeks ago, end of September, from the UN. They have a division called the International Labour Organization, the ILO. Mm -hmm. And this ILO um, works on work. And the most recent report, um, looked at deaths through jobs how many people are killed through work each year in in the world mm -hmm. um and if you compare the deaths for something like uh, alcohol and drugs i think combined kill about something like three or four hundred thousand people um work kills nearly three million people each year you know it's an incredibly high statistic. Are you it's, talking about dangerous work like mining or something like that? Or it's, Yeah, it's a mixture. Yeah. And it's a lot in Asia. Um, farming is the most dangerous occupation. Mm -hmm. um, but it's also people dying from stressful, people who die early uh, because mm -hmm. of, um, and, and yes, and they, they inhale fumes. Um, you know, it's a real scandal, actually. Um, and those people are sort of suffering and dying so that, Someone somewhere is going to be making like you know a lot of profit for themselves. Yeah. Um, so I do think there's something in that people think it's old fashioned nowadays to talk about Karl Marx and you know, yeah. but there was something in that. We need to sort of watch out for that. Yeah. Um, and then on a softer level, you know, I mean, uh, managers need to make their jobs better. Um, they need to make them more fun. Yes, I, I we're not all going to suddenly be jobless tomorrow. That's obviously not not going to happen. Um, 
and not everyone wants to be a sort of a freelancer. It's quite stressful, you know. Um, yeah. You don't know where your next uh, dime is coming from. Yeah. If you have a job, then at least you know that you've got this sort of monthly check coming in, and that, that yeah. removes a lot of fear and precarity from life. Yeah. But, yeah, I think the four-day week, you know, I think that, that will become a thing. And it already is. It, COVID actually did change our attitudes to work. Um, and I think people were worried, well, what are we going to do with all this free time? We were fine. I mean, okay, I know a lot of people <laughs> were not fine. Quickly. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you know, I'm, I'm fully aware that it was a nightmare uh, for lots of people. It was like, what, you mean I'm not allowed to work? Yeah. I'm being paid to not work? I'm being paid 80% of my salary and I'm not allowed to work. Um, yeah, this is great, you know. Yeah. Um, what do people do? They, they, uh, they, you know, they, they were in the garden. They were reading more. Um, they were educating themselves. We run online courses. They went mad in lockdown, you know. Uh, people, yeah. a lot of people read The Idler, which is great for us because they had time to read it um, mm -hmm. and they enjoyed it. So, you know, I think that 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 not only that, but there's a very um, there's a there's an ecological argument for idling because it. It's activity that causes uh, pollution and carbon emissions. You know, if you just sat at home doing nothing, you wouldn't uh, produce any pollution or carbon emissions. And there were maps, I think, you know, at the time of COVID, which showed that, uh, you know, there was less activity, less pollution, and it was yeah. that's good for global warming. So, I think in, in all, for on a personal level, you know, on a on a um, uh, on a societal. You know, on a social level, uh, uh, you know, to reduce the emphasis on work as a kind of salvation for everybody yeah. um, really makes a lot of sense in a practical way. Um, and it's going to improve your everyday life. Um, we don't, you know, Elon Musk is crazy. We don't want to work 90, 90 hour weeks. I mean, a few, a few lunatics do, but for most people, we want to have a sensible sort of mixture. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, sometimes if if it's that much work going on, it, you know, sometimes it's because it actually it's too difficult at home or something like that, you know. So I mean, that, yeah, that, that yeah. can be the case as well. It's just easier to be at work where everybody's generally, as I always kind of say, keeps a social mask on and is generally polite <laughs> to yeah. each other, which yeah. isn't always the case at home, <laughs> you know. Um, Absolutely. You know, so um, uh, yeah, and uh, and, I, and I do remember those memes that went around, kind of like during COVID, whether you know suddenly there were various different wildlife wandering around whatever was in various different countries, the wildlife that was appropriate to that country, you know, the alligators walking across roads and this kind of stuff and all sorts of things because all the animals were coming back out and kind of reclaiming um, spaces, which I, it was absolutely gorgeous, to be honest, who just realised what, you know, what we had pushed aside. Um, I, you mentioned there, um, because it is really easy to, um, you know, to, to also you know, glorify the idea kind of like being saying being self-employed and, you know, follow your heart and do what really meaningful. And that is actually, it sounds like what, you know, what, what you were able to do but, and you've survived it. And yet we do know about the statistics of, of, you know, how many people actually do survive in, in actually making a living in, in self-employment. It's really, really difficult. And so there there's it's not perhaps to kind of recommend that everybody just kind of says oh i follow my heart now and and jump ship from from the big brands and yet the big brands really need to kind of serve people don't they whether it's been the wrong way around hasn't it we've been in the service of the big brands rather than business which isn't anything other than a logo at the end of the day without people you know isn't that isn't that true so could i ask you a little bit about in terms of your journey in the 
through the magazine and with, with the idler. And that sense of entrepreneurship and sometimes facing, as you mentioned, bankruptcy and challenges, would you still recommend it? And because it obviously was meaningful to you, the theme of you were passionate about this this subject, presumably. Yes, I mean, I don't know whether I would recommend it or not. It's, I mean, things were a lot easier in the 90s, you know, um, and we were really lucky to have this patronage of the Guardian newspaper. And they gave us jobs. Me and my, when I say we, I mean, me and my friend Gavin, who I used to run the magazine with. And um, the 90s was a very creative period and things seemed easier then. There seemed to be more money around. Uh, I don't know. It's You know, it's very magazines are really hard. I mean, um the other day, I met a former editor of The Spectator, um, and he said, well, how's it going at the Idler? And I said, well, yeah, it's not too bad. We actually made a profit last year. It only took us 29 years. <laughs> and he said, well, when I was editor of The Spectator, we made our first profit. Um, and that was 153 years after it was launched. <laughs> it was launched in 1828. And then someone else said, the Times never made a profit in the 20th century. You know, so newspapers and magazines, they, they look quite sort of fun from the outside. And, but I think you're right. It's easy to be glib with the advice, follow your dreams, you know, um, follow your passion or whatever. It's, you know, it's not that easy. Um, one thing I, I've noticed is that people who are successful in business, hmm, usually, actually, they've come from, uh, they've been at something like JP Morgan for 10 years and they've decided to set up a business. They've got so much money behind their business. You know, um, yeah. and starting a business with zero money is really incredibly difficult. Yeah, um, it's extremely hand to mouth. We, uh, Victoria, my partner and I, we ran a bookshop in London for four and a half years. Um, and you know, oh, that's a nice idea. Wouldn't it be nice to run a bookshop? That'd be a nice way to live. And then mm. it would also be a, co a, a cafe, and mm. people would hang out there. And it'd be lovely. And in the evenings, we'd have lectures and talks and classes. You know, well, we did this. Uh, we borrowed about. I suppose 50, 60 grand in total from different sources, uh, a bank loan and a, and a remortgage. Um, and sat in this shop and employed people for four and a half years. And it was, it was really hard going, you know, and it's incredibly hard work. We never really made any money out of it. Uh, they put the rent up, you know, and that was just a, you know, it's a sort of modest, fun idea for a business, um, which, you know, okay, it didn't make any money. So you yeah. said, "What's the point of this?" I'm, uh, you know, I, I, I could be earning more on the doll, um, yeah. and um, and I'm killing myself doing this. We look back now with fondness. It was, you know, it was a creative project that uh, we 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 conceived and did, and you know, it was great um, in some ways. But I wrote a book about this called "Business for Bohemians." What I used to say to people: quit your job, you know, stop working for the man. Um, I'm a bit more cautious now. Yeah. Um, and uh, so, yeah, I'm definitely aware, you know, I, I, everyone wants to be a pop star. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, but then actually the reality of it and, and being a writer, being a pop star, being, a, you know, any of these things, a musician, it's, it's, it's bloody hard going. Yeah. Um, it, and, you, there's so much, isn't there, out there in the kind of the follow your heart thing. And maybe it's a social media meme type thing, but actually perhaps maybe side hustle your heart might be a good start <laughs> well maybe yeah and you know and um uh you know you can't necessarily expect uh you know making the the kinds of kind of profit that a salary would give you in your yeah. first year of business is absolutely impossible i mean people say it takes six or seven years to get a business going now look at all these big businesses they spend 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 for years and years 
Uber spent fifteen or sixteen billion dollars in order to, to build up a business that was that was profitable. Mm. It lost billions and billions of dollars every year for about twenty years. Billions, literally, you know, because it was it was using that money to destroy all the competition. Yeah. Um, maybe that's not a good example. <laughs> it's like, yeah. You know, um, it's just such a horrible business. But yeah, on an individual level. Um, uh, but having said that, you know, it's the best way to live uh, mm. for me. I couldn't, I couldn't have a job. I guess personally speaking, I couldn't do it. Um, I, people are, you know, they're really, really unhappy at work. If you're really unhappy at work, you've got to get out of that job, definitely. You know, yeah. um, mm-hmm. and I think if you can uh, get to a position where Bob Dylan says something like, you know, success means that you you do what you want each day, what you've chosen to do. That's not necessarily means it's easy. And that's the kind of a freedom that I I look for in running a small business. And I'd rather have that than have lots of money, you know. Um, And so there's that. I think it is a great way to live, but it's, it's, you know, it's fraught with perils and you have to put up with big ups and downs, uh, perhaps like an unexpectedly enormous tax bill, which makes you feel sick, you know, (laughs) uh, and makes you kind of go into a kind of flush, hot flush of fear. Yeah, yeah. Um, and and there's, uh, nobody, there's nobody to pass the buck to. That, well, that's the other thing. Um, <laughs> but uh, I remember someone said someone had a lemonade stall at a festival, and they said, "Oh, you know, um, thanks to you, we quit our job, and now we're selling lemonade." And I was like, "Oh my god, I hope they're okay." You know, like you don't have to follow my advice. <laughs> but Were they, they said, smiling or or gritting their teeth? Yeah, they, they said it's a nightmare, but it's my nightmare. So my nightmare is preferable to. I think the thing about jobs for a lot of people is that this is what what you don't what I used to not like about having a full time job was a kind of a kind of a feeling of helplessness. Yeah. Um, so all you can do is sort of moan about it to your partner. And I worked at the Guardian for two or three or four years. It was a great job. We were incredibly lucky, uh, and it was a wonderful company. I mean, you know, thank you so much, Guardian. But even that, I felt for me personally, in the end, it was a little bit too like. Um, if you want to move your way up through an organisation, you have to sort of uh mostly you have to play play politics at least to an extent yeah. and that's what didn't interest me i was only interested in the actual work itself which i really enjoyed um yeah, yeah. uh and um so i was yeah. actually happy to sort of get out of get out of that full-time work environment and i haven't been back since 1997 yeah. but as i said you know yeah it's a, it's a step to take with great caution yeah and it's i think what we're talking about is kind of um, because I know you used the phrase um, uh, living as an art, you know, um, and, and so that idea of kind of crafting your life a little bit. And again, it's about, I suppose the whole podcast is about becoming conscious of where you're headed. And do, are you happy with that? Or do, is there something that you want to change? Um, or perhaps lots of things that you want to change. So it is, a, a, you know, whether it's mindset, whether, whether it's time, whether it's a little bit more time for reflection, whether it's kind of entrepreneurship, whatever it might be. It's crafting, crafting our time and actually actually kind of taking the reins. And could I ask you in terms of, because, you know, you have gone down that path, but what about somebody who's watching and they're kind of, you know, in the usual, you know, town living, perhaps busy commute to work, um, you know, not self-employed working employees, uh, both partners working, busy times, you know, children, uh, you know, and what I often find is that actually for a lot, especially when kids are young, the weekends are really just going from out of the frying pan into the fire, aren't they? It's just yeah. a different type of busyness. Uh, but it's very hard to do, isn't it, to get the kind of the idling 
if your surroundings are demanding of you that, well, no, because your child wants to go to this party and that party and they should also be doing ballet lessons and football and whatever else, you know, is there a way of putting it into, uh, is it okay to do a little bit of it? And can we, realistically? I think that it's, it's really the hardest time of life. I mean, it's very, it can be, you know, it's great fun and very rewarding. Um, but a young couple with young children, it's very tough, you know. Um, and I've been there. We, we, we have three children. Um, life's a lot easier now. The youngest is 18, you know. Mm. Um, and, uh, it's, they're very self-sufficient. So I know from experience how hard it is. And I actually wrote a book about it called The Idle Parent, which mm. I, I tried to sort of, you know, look at these things. How can we sort of bring some idleness in? I mean, actually, what we did was um, we opted for a much cheaper way of living. We we moved out of London mm. um, and rented a, a really sort of falling down farmhouse in the middle of nowhere, which is very cheap to rent. And also at that time, I was writing books and I cut my working day down to four hours a day. Um, and Victoria wasn't really working you know, she started, she was doing a bit of work, but not that. So we tried to create a situation where um, we were sort of actually around quite a lot in order to try to make it easier. And it was still a nightmare, you know. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I think, I think it's very, very difficult. And uh, I mean, I know that uh, looking at our readers and customers or, you know, we run holidays and festivals. You don't tend to get people with small children, younger children coming because they're just so mm. busy, you know, yeah. and also they, the, the finances are so sort of stretched. So people who come to us, are, they're post-children, pre-children, or they haven't got children, you know. Um, and uh, so it's probably not the best time to launch a, a new um, enterprise when you have when you have young ones. Yeah. Um, but even just trying to introduce even a little bit of, I mean, you know, even just a little bit, of, even the little things like you were talking about. I know that plenty of people, if I, you know, kind of say, well, download a relaxation exercise and, you know, practice this week, whatever it might be. People will say, yeah, I go to, I, I park outside my local, you know, supermarket or wherever, a public car parking space, and I put the, the seat back and I listen to it because if I go home, I have the hope of listening to it. You know, that's the end of peace. It's yeah. just a different type, yeah. of, type of chaos. Um, and it's yeah. hard. Yeah, it, it, it's kind of hard, isn't it? To, but even, but yet at the same time, we desperately need to know even to introduce some windows of, it may not be the kind of like the country life that we, you know, lots of people would love, but some windows of time in the day, if, if, if not, you know, if it, you know, or else the week. I think you have to sort of yeah. work with your partner on these things. Um, oh. And it's really hard because you, you have this sort of competition. Um, you're tired. What about me? I'm exhausted, you know, yeah. and, yeah. Um, and this sort of fight. One other main issue, if we're talking about children, was um, I also felt there that at the same time, Compared to my parents, uh, our generation of parents, I mean, I'm in my mid fifties. We were like totally over mollycoddled our children. I mean, my parents just seemed to ignore me completely. Um, seventies mm. childhood it was great. We had a lot of independence and then it sort of maybe they neglected us too much and there was a reaction the other way. So those children who were neglected in the seventies, um, I don't know where it came from. It, maybe it's an industry, but tended to sort of over parent, uh, in the in the noughties, um, and get over worried about things, and they're worried about you know just, just an avalanche of worries. They're now worries about you know computers and social media and everything. We didn't have social media, but we were worried about other things. Um, and my point really was, uh, you know, uh, modern parents don't do themselves 
many favours by because they, they, they put too much work into parenting. That's actually not good for the child. Mm-hmm. Uh, they, be, they, they lose their self-sufficiency. You want your child to be able to, t- you know, shine its own shoes and tie its own shoelaces and make its own packed lunch and these sorts of things. Yeah. Um, and not to be sort of driven everywhere in an enormous SUV and kind of mollycoddled and worried and, um, you know, cotton wool parenting, they call it. Yeah. Uh, and then, you, you know, the, so there's that. And then there's this sort of guilt. Am I a good parent? Well, there was the famous psychologist Winnicott, and he said, don't, don't try and be a good parent. Try and be a good enough parent. Mm-hmm. Try and be an okay parent. That's enough, you know. Um, obviously, you're going to lose your temper and shout and scream. And um, but it's just sort of essentially love underneath it all. Then, you know, then that's okay. And the child is uh, alive. <laughs> yeah. So I, yeah. I still think, well, how's it going? Yeah, it's fine. They're all alive. Good. Well done. You know? <laughs> <laughs> exactly. um, and that's it. That's okay. Uh, it, it's... Yeah, as I said, it's it's really, really difficult. But the other thing is sleep. I think sleep is so important and people neglect it and they think they can sort of uh, compensate for lack of sleep with things like coffee and uh, energy drinks. It's, you can't. You've got to sleep. Um, mm. Go to bed earlier. You know, you're getting up at half past six. You have to go to bed at nine. Sorry, but you can't watch TV all evening. Yeah. The, the, the other thing I find really annoying is someone says, I haven't got time for this, I haven't got time for that. Everyone seems to have plenty of time to watch hours and hours of Netflix every evening mm-hmm. or go on Instagram for hours and hours. So have a look at the, where you're spending this time. Um, yeah. You know, could you sort of just go to bed at nine um, and lie in bed for an hour? That's, I mean, it's it, going to bed at nine if you're like, when you're an oldie. It's, a, it's an amazing feeling. It's like, this is incredible. <laughs> um, and I can just lie here for an hour and it's still only 10. Um and then mm. I go to sleep and I wake up at seven. That's nine hours. I mean, yeah. it's just bliss. But, you know, the modern world makes you, it kind of forces you to stay up late um, on your computer, watching YouTube, addictive TV, you know, uh, binge watching. You yeah. know, you, you, you sit down and think, oh, we'll, we'll watch one episode of The Crown or whatever. And then suddenly you're you're, think you're com- contemplating watching episode three and it's midnight. Yeah. And that completely ruins your next day. And you, you wake up feeling, oh, my God, what did I do? You know. So yeah. Yeah. I think that's that. But 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 all those you know Netflix and all those companies and YouTube they've got so much money they're just pumping this stuff at you all day long. So that's the problem that we idlers have is like we don't have um you know billion dollar advertising campaigns <laughs> yeah. to make you to make you do nothing. Yeah. The billion dollar advertising campaigns the people who want you to be incredibly active, um even at the cost of sleep and so on. So I think you know those three things sleep, um maybe neglect your children a little bit more. <laughs> <laughs> Um and uh and, and share the burden, okay, you know, with friends, family. But, but yeah, I think you know, share, make prioritize sleep, go to bed earlier. You know, um, share the burden, um, and work a little bit less hard on it. Don't, and try to sort of worry less about your children as long as they're alive. You're doing okay. Yeah, yeah, uh, and it is. It's true. We've brought productivity. I mean, we even talk about kind of quality time with the children, don't we? Instead of you know just they're there and sometimes. You just you're in the same household and that's okay because it's a sense yeah, of quality about that, isn't there? Yeah, quality time. I mean, that's a difficult, difficult concept. I mean, you know, I, I get it. You know, um, and particularly if you're if you're both working in jobs, you want to spend some nice time with them. But there's, there's something for sort of average quality time as well. Just being there, you know, I think you can just be near them, um, and you can still get on with your own thing a bit, uh, uh, whatever it might be. You know, yeah. watching YouTube. <laughs> yeah. Um, but you're in the next room or you're in the same room. You're just around, you know, yeah. so you're there. If like, 
if they want to come and talk to you, they can. I think being there is good, but yeah, I, I don't know what a what's a uh, not quality time, but you know, it's a low quality time or you know, <laughs> yeah. me, medium yep. quality time. Just any time is is great. You know, it's like yeah, it doesn't have to be quality time. Don't beat yourself up. Life's hard enough as it is. Now you're being asked to sort of be this kind of super parent. I mean, come on. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. No, I, I actually agree with you. I think sometimes it's just knowing you're there is all that they need. And then, you know, a, little, a, a bit of freedom. Now, I just want to ask you, because this, this, we, we talk in this about personal progress. Um, this kind of that this, this podcast is about personal progress. So just learning something new. So we're talking about here about kind of idling or whatever. Um, but I talk about in mind, body and spirit. Do you see just you personally, um, you know, would reflection be a spiritual practice to you or would you kind of like not use that language about it at all? Um, uh, do you find certain practices are spiritual or existentially relevant or whatever for you? Well, well, yes, absolutely. Um, you know, I think there's a kind of spiritual d- dimension to this whole thing because, you know, meditation, mindfulness, that's, a, that's, that's basically an activity. Mm-hmm. Um, it's very good for you to slow down, you know, to, to go inside and like, you know, Whatever it is, there's something, isn't there? I mean, I don't know what it is—a mm-hmm. uh, spirit or a soul. Or uh, we're not just a, you know, an, a, a collection of atoms. I don't think, yeah. anyway. Um, yeah. And um, so let's kind of just, you know, touch base with that sometimes in in different ways. Uh, you can do it in different ways. It's—I've said this a million times, and I'm, I'm sure you have as well. Like just like you know, going for a long walk is is an amazingly pleasurable thing to do. Mm-hmm. um for me as well it's cycling i play tennis um it's reading it's listening to music uh even ceremony and, and ritual and magic you know i think people were i was talking to rupert sheldrake who's quite a kind of you know out there philosopher the other day yeah. for our magazine you get, get get taken to another place there's you know and, and that's uh, you also get that from football matches so yeah. um you know why is football so popular because it's it, t- it takes you out of your other, you know, it takes you into a different world where you're 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 part of a, um, you know, you're almost like your ego is subsumed. It's almost a sort of spiritual experience for people um, chanting, Some watching football, unification or collective unification. It's, it's very yeah. very different thing. It's like yeah. a religious experience. It's something yeah. outside of you know, and that's why it's so popular. Fishing is another one. Um, so there are lots of things that we do quite naturally, which um, are already there. So it's like we don't. We, it's not like I have to give people any advice because people are doing all these things anyway. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I think there can be a spiritual component. Um, and, uh, you know, I mentioned the cathedrals, which are essentially temples of contemplation and inactivity. Uh, look how important they thought it was to do nothing. They built these absolutely vast cathedrals. Yeah. Um, and and they, uh, they work, don't they? Because it is what, where, where we are, the space that we're in actually does change our state of mind, doesn't it? So they, they do their job. They do their job because, I mean, you know, look at, you know, the, the, the space we're in definitely changes our state of mind. I so agree with that. And um, people sort of forget that uh, systems make people, uh, you know, behave in certain ways. And a simple example is the car. Mm-hmm. So you can take a mild mannered poet um, who, in normal situations, he would walk into a cathedral and feel, you know, uplifted, calmed and, you know, a, a sort of spiritual connection. And you put them in a the motor car on a crowded roundabout and they turn into a completely different person, quite aggressive, possibly yeah. swearing and angry. Yeah. <laughs> um, it's the same person, isn't it? Being a parent suddenly makes you into a parent. <laughs> like, yeah. Yeah. There was a joke that, you know, uh, 
but before I had children, I, I didn't really care about people putting their feet on the sofa. <laughs> yes, yeah. And now I think it's like one of the most heinous crimes that, yeah. he, that anyone could commit. So what the hell do you think you're doing putting your feet on the sofa? Yeah. You sort of become a parent. It's so weird. Uh, yeah, so I think the, your external environment does have a massive effect. And so, you know, churches are free. They're everywhere. Mm-hmm. Um, they're a really good resource to go to in your lunch break, um, just sit in the church for a bit. You don't have to be religious. I mean, I, I'm not. I don't go to church every week or anything, but um, I do love visiting cathedrals and I'm really keen on uh, pilgrimage. Mm -hmm. All these old fashioned ideas, pilgrimage, going for a long walk with a few mates uh, with a destination in mind. I mean, it's just so enjoyable, Um, particularly if there's a bit of beer involved at the end of it. (laughs) And, um, you know, it doesn't cost anything. Yeah, it's like free. You know, pilgrimages were the medieval holiday, like in Chaucer, uh, the Canterbury Tales. They, they had a great time. It was like, you know, what, what happens on pilgrimage stays on pilgrimage. <laughs> um, it was a time to kind of relax. It was like a festival. Festivals were another thing. You know, we love, Victoria and I love festivals. We, we run a festival. Um, mm-hmm. Festivals were another time. You know, I think what happened is um, we used to have all these religious festivals, but they were controlled by the church and then they were banned by the Reformation um, in England anyway. And um but they sort of come back via things like Glastonbury Festival, yeah. you know, yeah. and then yeah. and local festivals, literary festivals, uh, mm. you know, local villages still have their annual fates and things like this. Um, so there's quite a lot of fun around to yeah. be had in the forms yeah. of festivals. And festivals, again, they take you into a different place where work and money, uh, striving numbers and, you know, competition sort of, you know, don't seem so important anymore. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, I mean, again, it sounds like... Um what you're saying is again about you know that art of crafting that life and maybe looking out for some of these kind of spaces so looking out for these watching what how you change with the role uh looking out for fun and actually perhaps consciously introducing it again into your yeah, I think that's right Susanna yeah, yeah. The, 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 that word crafting is a really good one isn't it I mean and you want to sort of rather than let, letting life happen to you mm. um look, look at your life as a sort of work of art something you can actually change you can mold mm. um Stoic wisdom would say, you know, um, uh, concentrate on changing the things that are within your power to change Mm -hmm. um, and stop wasting energy on the things which are not in your power to change, um, whatever they are. I mean, one thing actually uh, sort of tip, I'm sure you've discussed this, is is like... Because actually, so you you hold that thought actually because just I always ask uh, every guest for their tweak for the week, as it were, because, you know, that's what we ask. So with this in mind, would maybe uh, go ahead there and kind of say, you know, what might be recommending? Yeah. Yeah. Okay, well, a a recent tweak of the week I suggested, um, which got a very good response from our readers, is turn off Radio 4 and turn on Radio 3. Okay. Okay. Explain it's, that to us now. A lot of people will be will be uh, listening in Ireland. So. Oh, okay. So you, you have you have RTE, right? Yes, that's right. Yeah. 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 Okay. Well, um, uh, I think RTE. I know probably... about Radio Four, but not so much Radio Three, perhaps. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. so the, the idea here is, and I think RTE is a fantastic station. We were just on the west coast of Ireland for the Other Voices Festival in Dingle. Mm-hmm. Um, that is an amazing festival. Uh, I would definitely check out what they do on, on YouTube. I mean, again, it was a festival. It was in the streets. Um, it's sort of free. You know, you yeah. walk, walk in and out of these pubs. There's absolutely incredible music going on everywhere. Not yeah. just traditional Irish music, but Irish music using um, traditional instruments, but brought right up to date and doing some really weird stuff. 
yeah. people like Junior Brother and so on. It was absolutely amazing. Um, and uh, the guy who runs it, Philip, has a show, I think, on RTE, where he plays very sort of eclectic forms of music. Okay. But the, 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 the point really then I'm making is um, cut down on the news. You know, news, news. Um, we love it. We're addicted to it. But, again, it's all this stuff you can't do anything about that just stresses you out. Switch on the classical music, classical music instead. That's what Radio 3 is. So it's all about classical music um, and, and avant-garde and experimental music, you know, interesting music. Okay. Music, you know, that is the key. Um, so turn off the, the chatter uh, and the depressing news. Mm-hmm. Cut down on the news. That's, that's the tweak. Okay, fantastic. That's a, a great recommendation um, and, and a really novel one. So um, we'll, we'll have to finish up here, uh, Tom, but um, thank you for being w- with us. You're editor and publisher of the bi-monthly um, magazine, The Idler. So can you tell people where, if they'd like to subscribe, because subscription is free, isn't that right? So if people would like to kind of like, you know, have these ideas brought to their to their inbox uh, on a regular well, basis, where should they subscribe? Yeah, there are different levels. So yeah, you, you can buy the magazine. It's like a little book. Um, it's on sale in Eason's. Mm-hmm. in ireland so you should be able to find it um go to easton's they'll be able to get it if they haven't got one and you'll okay. see it on the sale there um you can sign up to our mailing list for free mm-hmm. and we we send you one two or three emails each week um it's a letter from the editor from me um so i'll, I'll take some sort of topic that's in the news and, and give a sort of fresh angle on it it might be something like you know uh the tip i just mentioned about cutting back on news um my my son uh remarked to me that I, he 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 said the other day to me um you are unnecessary um and i thought that was quite a funny line unnecessary so i wrote an essay about that so it's, it's little sort of funny things about everyday life yeah and that's that's free um and then you can go further and uh get the magazine delivered uh which i think is 40 quid uh we also run online courses mm-hmm. but go, go to idler.co.uk and they can have a look uh, um listeners and uh, check out what we do great great and you've got a uh, retreat or a festival coming up in in the new year is that correct yes in july we have a festival in london um mm-hmm. at fenton house which is a really lovely mm-hmm. national trust building for about four or five hundred people a, a small yeah. festival okay. um and we also take groups of readers to uh one of two really lovely uh villas in italy where we explore the local art and scenery and go on foraging walks and um and i give lectures about ancient philosophy uh different ways of living well that sounds gorgeous <laughs> that is a really <laughs> really nice way to escape all of the uh the the, the busyness of, of, of our lives that sounds a fantastic idea uh tom thank you so much for for being with us today really really appreciate it um, as I mentioned, you've so many, so many books out there, but it's Tom Hodgkinson and you'll get him at the idler.co.uk if you want to look up more. And, and, and obviously you'll find some of his books, most of his books, all of his books, I think online. Um, so, uh, so do kind of just, just follow that up and actually, cause it will help you to just, I think, to reflect and to find new ways of saying, well, do you know something? I may not be able to do that. But actually, you know, I can I can try that, or I can try that this weekend, or just eke in little, I think, reclaim little moments um, of your of your precious of your precious life, and I think that's what it's all about. So, um, Tom, thank you so much for being with us. I really appreciate it. Thanks for having me. Really nice. <laughs>